Welcome back to The Path. I am your host, Luke Hastings, and today we are finishing off our Base Canadian series with a two-part episode. This one was too good. I had to do it in two parts. Our guest today is Mike Pentile. You've probably heard of Mike, the co-host of the Masculine Revival podcast with Brendan Schmidt of Masculine Revival. But if you haven't heard of Mike, he is an accomplished powerlifter, business owner, recent man of faith as a lot of the masculine space is coming to Christ recently, which is super awesome. And uh, has a wife and two daughters, a lot of experience in life and a lot to give. And he is now a men's coach as well. So he's a colleague of mine. We talk on a lot of different topics that are going to mean a lot to you all, whether you're male or female. We're talking about tangibly trusting God while taking action, developing faith in adversity, cold approach, dynamics of attraction, balancing taking action with prayer, the threshold of becoming a man, igniting powerful change in your life, and a lot more. Once again, this is two parts. Part one is today. You'll have to stay tuned for part two, and both are jam-packed. Really enjoyed my time with Mike, and I know you guys will too. Were there any topics that you that were just like on your mind or heart that you really want to to rant on? Anything God's doing in your life lately that you're just crazy about or anything pressing? Man, there's nothing super pressing besides, you know, fatherhood. And I find myself in a season where um, I'm asking for God's wisdom more than I ever have before. You know, I, uh, I used to ask for things and success or, you know, what have you. And now it's, it's, I feel, I mean, I'm, I just turned 30 this year and I, there's still obviously still some maturation that's got to occur in my life. You know, I, I was yeah. talking to Will Spencer last week, we were on a podcast and uh, he was saying a man doesn't really come to that wisdom or at least start until he's like 35. And I feel like I'm kind of on that road where it's kind of like Solomon in, in the book of Kings where, you know, God comes to him in a dream and, and asks him what he wants. Like, Hey, I'll, I'm going to bless you with whatever you want. And he asks him for his right. wisdom. And like that more than anything right now, I just feel like that's the season I'm in. My God, give me, give me the wisdom to, you know, rule over the assignment that you've given to me and, you know, to do the thing that you want me to do and in a way that pleases you. So that's probably the most pressing yep. thing in my life right now, man. I'm sure. How old are you? 30 as well. Yeah. yeah so you, you know where I'm at, man. You're, you maybe don't have a family right now, but, uh, I yeah. can, I, I'm sure you understand, you know, where I'm coming from when I say that. No, hundred percent. Yeah. I think my big, my most heartfelt cries for wisdom was when the marriage was falling apart. That was probably when it started the oh, most for me. <laughs> oh, were you previously married? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting, man. How, how long yeah, were you married? Six for? years. Yeah. Six years. Damn. Yeah. So whenever I was like 15, 16, I started questioning, like, what does it mean to be a man? How do you know when you're a man? What's a good man? And uh, asking my dad these questions and he's like, dude, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, those are hard questions to ask anyone. Um, and my dad probably felt the full weight of that landing on his shoulders. He's like, oh my gosh, here's my, my oldest son asking me these questions. And it's like, how do we draw the line in our culture? Like mm -hmm. our culture doesn't have a line that you cross when you become a man, you know, it's like, there's no special age that's magical. There's no ritual. There's no nothing like that. But I started caring about it at age 15 or 16. Cause I was like, I want to do this. Like I want to yeah. become a man. It sounds great. And truth be told, man, I don't think I felt like a man until I was 29. Yeah, that's relatable for sure. I didn't feel like I became a man until I got married and I had my first kid before everything 
compared to that seems so juvenile and self-centered. And then especially when I got baptized mm. and then I became aware and more, more aware and judgmental of my own sin than I was, than I am of the sin of other people. And I felt like mm. really God yeah. really poured some wisdom into me there when I came out of that water, it, it became very real to me, all the areas I was overlooking, you know, we're all Christians by, you know, uh, all, many of us call us, ourselves Christians, but very, very few of us uh, walk the path. I like how you, you know, you call yourself the narrow way, man. Like when we talk about the narrow path, dude, that yeah. that path is like a tightrope. It's not like a narrow. It's <laughs> people think about the narrow path in a way, dude. It's a lot more narrow than we we imagine it and we envision it in our minds. And that became a, yeah. a very clear and visceral reality for me when I got baptized. I think whenever a man feels like he's a man it's probably different reasons for different guys because I feel like our journeys, the, the, the milestones that we cross are not always sequential. They're not always the same for everyone. For you, it sounded like you felt like a man whenever you transcended yourself and your mission and purpose expanded beyond the bounds of your own happiness. And it started being about God and eternality and family and legacy and mission. Um, Whereas for me, it was like, I was already about those kind of things, mm -hmm. but there was an experience I had to have of like independence and autonomy that needed to take place to kind of tie the bow on it. Right. Cause I had, I kind of had the mission and purpose and vision going already that I had learned, you know, through the marriage, but I didn't have that true independence and autonomy that I think a man needs to experience at some point. When you say true independence and autonomy, and you mean like a period period of uh, of intentional like monk mode and and, and solid you know solitude, is that what you mean? You know, I, I would say it is a, it is solitary in a sense. It doesn't mean you're alone, but it does mean you're standing on your own. Mm. It, you know, it's like uh, the, the a specific experience was I was on the coast, I was on the west coast of Puerto Rico, and um, doing some like just free swimming in the ocean. I was like in a non-tourist area. There was basically no one around. Um, you couldn't see anybody for, you know, for the whole beach. And um, I got caught in a riptide. Mm. And uh, if, if anyone's ever been caught in a riptide, they know it's not a pleasant experience. You're not in control. You're completely out of control. And the ocean is doing with you what it wants to do with you. Um, and it's very easy to go into fight or flight mode and lose your head. Um, mm -hmm. And quite frankly, that's what I did. <laughs> I, uh, I lost my head a little bit and started panicking and I didn't realize what was going on. I just knew that I wasn't going where I wanted to. And I started freaking out a little bit and eventually calmed down and was able to escape it. But if that would not have been the case, I would have just drowned alone off the coast of Puerto Rico and nobody would know. And I was, I was wearing down. I was wearing down to the point where it's like swimming is tiring and swimming against the ocean is even more tiring. Um, and I was well over my head and it was like, okay, if I'm out here another 15, 20 minutes, that's a wrap. You know, Crazy, man. if I can't, if I can't get back in. So I made it back in, I'm on the shore, I'm completely panting. I'm just completely like embarrassed and like on the point of like, Oh my gosh, what just happened? And I've got a few beers and some water that I brought with me. And I'm just like guzzling through that, just panting, getting my breath. 
And then I'm like, then something visceral inside me was just like, you've got to go back out. You've got to go back out and you've got to do it like a man. And you can't lose your mind. You've got to maintain your peace. And it wasn't, I can't explain it, man. It was just like, yeah, I I need to do that. I need to go stand on my own two feet. Obviously, metaphorical, you can't really stand in the middle of the ocean, but I had to go out there and do the thing with a calm, collected mind. And I went out again, way more tired than I did the first time, and just managed the whole thing and got into the rip current intentionally and navigated it, swam out past it, came back through, all with a clear head, um, the same risk, but just a completely different mindset. And that was like the... That was the wrap for me, man. It was like facing death alone, essentially, escaping it and then going back to it. And I'm not recommending that for anyone. Let's like, make that really clear. This is not health advice or life advice. This is just the experience of one middle-class white kid from the suburbs that never had to face any real adversity and that mm-hmm. grew up in a good family and whose dad didn't beat him and who didn't have food insecurity and I have to come by it all honest. You know what I mean? Dude, I, and that's I, a lot I of my client that. base. A lot of my client base, it's like, you, why would you be motivated? Why would you be disciplined? Why would you strive for greatness? You can have immediate sex looking at your phone. You can have immediate food ordered from your phone. You can have immediate stimulation through video games. Your bills are paid. Your fridge is stocked. Your bed is comfortable. Why on earth would you be motivated to pursue greatness? Especially if you don't have that inner voice, that insecurity. I know your your experience, your kind of health fitness journey, you were like, what, 300 pounds or something? Yeah, I was 300 plus pounds for a while. <laughs> yeah, so you had this voice inside you that eventually built up that was like, you know, all kinds of negative self-talk, right? And then that motivates you. Eventually, there's a catalyst uh, that motivates you to make massive change. But a lot of guys don't have that kind of pain weighing on them, no pun intended. What was that sort of catalyst for you that that switched it on when you were overweight? See, I, I, I think, you know, before I get to that, I think most guys have a louder internal voice than they give themselves credit for. Um, and I think the way that internal voice presents itself in a, in, in a life where, you know, you're smoking weed and you're watching pornography and you're overindulging in food and, you know, all of this stuff. And it presents itself as like existential dread and depression. I don't think modern depression mm. is actually like real, you know, full-fledged actual depression. I think probably 90% yeah. or more is just due to a man not taking enough responsibility for his own life and doing those things and gratification deferral. And so... For me, that that's that's what occurred with me was that that pain was very motivating, in the sense that I hated that feeling. You know, I was depressed. I was on all these SSRIs. I was I was seeking therapists and all this stuff, and none of it was really working. And then, you know, I discovered powerlifting. I got super huge. You know, I was three hundred plus pounds. And then I realized, I said, okay, I'm watching porn. I'm eating whatever. I'm broke. I'm overweight. I said, if I have nothing by the time I'm thirty, it's going to be my fault. And I woke up and I was like twenty one or 22 when I had this realization. So I said, okay, well, the first thing that I could feasibly and tangibly do and act upon is, is, is my fitness. Cause at least I'm in the gym. I already have that going. So it was really yeah. that pain and that existential dread. I didn't grow, I didn't grow up really with, with my father. My father was a very toxic influence in my life for the majority of my life, but I grew up with a very hardworking immigrant grandfather. I'm, I'm of Italian heritage. And so I saw 
he worked in a tannery and how absolutely he worked tirelessly to provide for us and never missed a day of work. And he always came home smelling putrid. And here I am, you know, waking up and jerking off and doing all this stuff. And I wasn't living according to, you know, any kind of standard. So I said, okay, well, this is the first real feasible thing I can act upon. And it was the pain that mo moved me to change. And, and, and for a lot of guys, I mean, <laughs> the pain's got to be great enough because I realized too, that the pain of change was less than the pain of staying the same. And I know that sounds kind of corny, but it's true, right? It's like, true. Yeah. Everything that I was doing was not working. So the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Well, I was getting the same result over and over again. Women weren't looking at me. I wasn't fulfilled. I, I just felt terrible most of the time. And, you know, when you're watching pornography and you're doing all these things, there's like a spiritual depression there too. And so... Yeah. I woke up one morning, decided to change it. And then a year and a half later, my life completely flipped on its head completely. Now I went down a pretty narcissistic route. Like I discovered the red pill amidst this journey. So it kind of took some twists and some turns, yeah. but other than becoming baptized and becoming a father and a husband and all those things, that transformation, what I did there was the most powerful catalyst for change in my life, financially, yeah. spiritually, physically, of course, had I not done that, I dude, I, I hate to think about where I'd be at this point. So the pain was very motivating for me. And it, I mm. wish that any man listening to this, that's still struggling with all these things. I hope the pain becomes so great. It's unbearable and it moves you to actually change. Yeah. You know what I mean? hundred percent. What I share with, with my clients and I'm sure you do a similar version with your clients is like, that is how change takes place for men is most commonly with pain yeah. and it's realizing it's realized pain, right? Like the guy who's 45 years old and he's never missed a day in the gym. The reason why he's been doing that for three years is because he had a heart attack at 42. Right. And now the pain is realized. He should have been in the gym way before that. He needed to go to the gym way before that. But now that he's realized the pain of his mistakes, he's in the gym every day and he never misses. And I cannot gift that to a 22-year-old man. I cannot give you the gift of pain, right? I can only give you the gift of perspective. I can only give you the gift of my pain, and hopefully you can realize that, or I can help future cast your trajectory and say, hey, this is the road you're going down. Do you want to end there? And it sounds like that's what happened to you when you were 21, 22 years old, and you were like, I see where this is going, and this is not good. I'm broke. I'm 300 plus pounds. I'm wasting my time and the future is not looking bright. And you were able to realize that pain. Thank God. Right. Like, oh, dude. Thank sure. God that he blessed you with the realization of that pain, because there's so many more guys like myself, for example, who maybe didn't have it as bad. Maybe we weren't 300 pounds. Maybe we were just like, maybe we were the same height, but we were just like 225, you know, just a little chunky, or whatever, you know, not very muscular, not very in shape, but life was otherwise comfortable. And maybe we weren't broke, but we had a job that wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't paying the bills. We weren't moving up. We weren't trying our hardest. A few less factors of pain, and we're we're going to be coasting that way for another 10 years. That's no man's land, for sure. That's no man's land, because I, I mean, again, this is another cheesy perspective, but it's the, the truth. It's like, if you don't choose your hard hard is going to choose you and it's going to feel yeah. a hell of a lot harder. Right. So yeah. I knew I had, to, I had a cross to bear and that, you know, 
by passively coasting through life, this wasn't going to be the way that I got to any kind of, you know, higher version of myself, the 2.0 version of Mike that I knew I was capable of. And it was, yeah. you know, God, it, the way God works in our lives, sometimes we look for these breakthroughs that are so profound, but oftentimes they're a whisper. And so that's why this, I'm in the season that I'm in right now with asking for wisdom is that I'm not asking for a breakthrough. I know what the breakthroughs are. I'm just trying to be, to tune my ear and my spirit to really understand and discern that whisper when it comes. Yeah, man. So good. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. not enough guys are, are paying attention to that. It's like comfort is the enemy. Hey, y'all just wanted to take a moment and thank the sponsor of today's episode, which is myself. This show is actually a part of the Narrow Way Man brand, which is my online outlet to provide wisdom, motivation, and practical guidance for modern men. I've been blessed to take part in incredible transformations and breakthroughs with younger and middle-aged men who are in a season of crisis or a season of stagnation and are ready to make a big change, but are fed up with trying irrelevant churchy principles or recycled secular strategies that are void of biblical foundations. If you are a man who is truly ready to take responsibility and break out of your current plateau, there is a link in the show notes to apply for a coaching program. Thanks again for listening, and let's get back to the show. Amen. And I'm not trying to say this in a way where you go become like a Dave Goggins and you're just, it's so performative. Like I, listen, like I, I like all that hustle and grind stuff, you know, don't get me wrong. Like I think we operate too much on extremes where it's either like we're Alex Hermosi, we got to work, have a work ethic, like a slave. Literally. He said this bizarre, <laughs> bizarre. Or then yeah. you're, you're thinking about the people on the other end of the spectrum where it's all about self-indulgence. It's like, listen, like I don't believe in balance, but I mean, taking it back to scripture, I I often have to revisit the book of Ecclesiastes because I think Amen. there's so much there for a man. There's so much in Kings. I mean, the whole Bible, don't get me wrong, but Paul and Solomon in particular in the Bible are my favorite figures, my favorite writers. It just, it speaks to the heart of men. You know, Paul with just his boldness and how often he declared Christ as King and Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus over and over and over again, despite his flawed past. And then you're thinking about Solomon, the wisest, richest man to ever walk the face of the planet. And so in particular, there's that passage in Ecclesiastes where he talks about there's a time to reap, there's a time to sow, there's a time to work, there's a time to rest. And I think a lot of us, it would behoove us as men to revisit that book often. You know, anybody that knows me knows that I recommend this book over and over and over and over again. It, 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 it's almost become a meme at this point, especially in the men's group. And I have to really like sit there and digest it as well because i'm always trying to work and pursue and then yeah. i realize god oftentimes puts up these walls and resistance and he's really trying to tell me this is a time to rest yeah take yeah. it easy you know what i'm saying but I then do. there's times where you need to take massive action and you almost have to act like a goggins and that there's going to be that time where you have to sprint and 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 you know most guys this is why you know the guys that i talk to like especially the guys in their teens and their 20s even early 30s it's like dude like if you don't take some kind of action now it's only going to get harder as you get older and you don't want to be that guy on the other side of his mid 30s and 40s wondering why he just coasted through life right it's 100 man that's the enemy that's the death of a man's essence right and it's like i'm i praise god for the wisdom that i had in my early 20s where i, I said to myself out loud if i have nothing by 30 it's my fault it's my fault. My fault alone. I came from a middle class family. I knew that there wasn't any kind of inheritance coming my way. My dad never provided for me. You know, my grandfather was a per was a very good example of a provider. And so I'm like, okay, 
what are the tools I have at my disposal? Okay, let's focus on the fitness first and let's see what happens at the other end of it. And what happened at the other end of it was I lost all this weight and I almost became like a celebrity at my gym. I started training people for free. I was in the trades at the time. I was a mechanic and I was working construction jobs and stuff like that. And then, you know, lo and behold, I opened up my own gym and it became like immediately successful. And then I got into, you know, my second location. Eventually, I still own that to this day. And that laid the whole foundation for my future. Yeah. But then, but then with that came a different kind of responsibility, right? Um, I knew that if I didn't quote unquote eat shit throughout my twenties and not yeah. live like a degenerate, I lived like a degenerate sexually, but right. in terms of finances, I wasn't going out there popping bands and popping bottles at the club and, and right. all this stuff. Like I bought some cars and stuff, but eventually I sold them and I lived like a monk throughout my twenties because I knew I was going to be a father by the time I was 27, 28, 29, 30, whatever. And I needed to have a platform. And you know what's pretty funny is that the week after my 28th birthday, my wife was hovering over me. And she was like, hey, I'm pregnant. And I was like, right at 28, dude. And I'm like, okay, let's go. So praise God for that perspective. Bought her, you know, we weren't married at the time. Unfortunately, we had, a, we, we had sex but before marriage. And we saw the fruits of that in the beginnings of our marriage because we sowed uh, seeds of chaos Thankfully, we're through that season, praise God, by the grace of God. And so after that, married her, bought a vehicle, bought a home, did all the things, moved in, bought furniture. So it's like, man, if I didn't do that, if there wasn't that gratification deferral that started with the fitness, dude, like I I hate to think about where my life would be at the present. I got two beautiful girls. I got a home that I built for my family. You know, I work from home fully now. I can be with them. It's And just saying it out loud makes me kind of kick myself for some of the times that I'm not as grateful and I'm working so hard Mm. for the future. Yeah. Um, Because, you know... I, I like this really, I really like this quote is that anxiety is atheism in action. And that, that kicked me when I, when I read that quote. Now you could go at that from multiple different angles. Um, it's practical but, atheism. It's saying, it's Hey, practical. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm going to sit okay. with my, I'm going to sit with all my problems and pretend like I'm God and I'm the only one who can fix them. And that's what causes anxiety. Whereas, you know, Philippians three, I believe is, you know, cast your cares like upon the Lord for he cares for you worry for nothing but with everything in prayer and thanksgiving cast those cares before god right so it's practical atheism to say hey god i know you're up there but i'm not really gonna let you handle my stuff i'm gonna just be god here (laughs) that's well said and i i often i struggle with and this is maybe something that you could maybe shed some light on here um i struggle with often what does tangibly trusting god and still putting in the work look like. Oh, because, so good, man. Right? All I know is working long hours yep. and trying to force things and make it happen. Yeah. I will things into existence. But then I understand I've had business ventures that failed. I've had things that failed. And ultimately, like, that's God putting up roadblocks purposefully. So tangibly, what does that look like? Because it's like, I don't know what that is. If somebody yeah. were to ask me, okay, well, okay, it's like, well, Continue to build brick by brick and take off those tasks, but trust that God's going to take care of the seeds that you're planting. That's yeah. about as far as I've gone with that. Oh, man. That's oh, so good. I'm, I'm barely scratching the surface of that in my own life, too. But uh, some really, really cool paradoxes in the Bible that speak to this. One is uh, my favorite is Proverbs 2131. And that's, of course, Solomon, right? The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but Hmm. deliverance is of the Lord. So it's this dichotomy. And you have some guys who 
they're they are 225 pounds they do have a job that they're not very happy with and they are kind of self-medicating in comfort and they're only focused on the second half of that verse oh deliverance is from the lord right Mm. and then you have guys like you guys like me and all we're obsessed with is preparing the horse preparing the chariot making sure our armor's on making sure all of our uh, I's are dotted and T's are crossed, right? And we forget that deliverance comes from the Lord, but that verse has two halves, right? Mm. And so our ability to hold both and say, you know what? I, If I'm fighting a battle that I think I can win on my own strength, then I am being a practical atheist. If I'm fighting a battle that I think I can handle, then is God even on my side? Like, Am I, am I living in ignorance of the fact that God is with me? Probably so, right? And so you're, you're biting off more than you can chew in faith. And you're saying the battle belongs to God. Victory belongs to God. But that doesn't absolve me of my responsibility to prepare the horse, to prepare the chariot, right? And so it's, it's a tough balance, but it's both. And it's not a – I hate the word balance because when people say balance – it connotes this 50-50 balance. No, it's a 100-100 balance. It's yep. full tilt on both. Another dichotomy that's uh, really stood out to me lately is uh, the old story of the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys are Israelites. They're in, uh, for, for listeners who don't know, they're, um, these are Israelites. In the Old Testament, there's a story of they're in captivity in Babylon, and the king is saying, hey, guys, Everybody has to worship this big statue of me. You have to bow down and worship it. And by the way, if you don't, you're going to get thrown into this massive, like, think like a crematory, like super hot fire. You're all going to get, like, thrown in there and and burnt alive, right? And, of course, everything comes to a head. And the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are like, hey, sorry, dude, we're not not worshiping your statue. It says, hey, no no lie, I'm going to throw you in this thing. I don't want to. Don't make me do it. And here's what they say. They say, we're confident that our God will deliver us from the flames. But even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing. And that like, that does not make logical sense. Okay, are you confident he's going to deliver you or are you not? They are confident, but even if it doesn't happen, we're still not bowing, right? And so For it's this. You love it. I love that story, man. It's like this dichotomy. It's like, God, I feel led to act with boldness and with faith here and to trust you with the outcome. And I fully realize that you may not deliver and I'm doing it anyways. Yeah. And I think at the heart of that, it's just submission to his will. Right. Right. I mean, I think in that story, I think it's a beautiful story. My pastor did a sermon on that a month or two back and I I remember it and it was was powerful because either way, they're like, whatever whether the flames destroy us or not, it's your will. It's not mine. But I think where a lot for a lot of Christians where the rubber doesn't meet the road is where they expect to passively sit back and just think that God is going to lay out this path before them. But when we know what Paul said in Thessalonians, that a man that does not work does not deserve to eat. Yeah. Right. It's like, yep. we well, we've got to do the things. And sometimes that's where I struggle. I'm like, okay, am I doing too much? What am I supposed to do? But oftentimes it's not that complicated. I think we overthink 
I think we overthink that process. It may look different for some of us at the ground level for some guys that are still watching pornography and that are overweight, whatever, like that's your ground zero. Like that's, that's what you need to focus on first for guys like you and myself, we're, we're further down the line in that, in that, in that way, we kind of know the tasks we need to tick off. And, you know, all we're doing there is planting seeds. That's, that's all we're trying to do. Whether it's like a YouTube video or it's an Instagram reel, it's, it's those daily, those daily little wins. And you're like, okay, God, like I'm doing this stuff faithfully. I'm trying to be a good steward of what I do have, knowing that the blessings are already here and there are more blessings to come if that's your will for me. And you're going to make this thing grow if it's meant to grow. And I think us as men, especially, you know, guys with testosterone that are lifting weights, we think we have this control over our lives when we don't have nearly as much control as we think that we do. You know, and I found this out the hard way. Me and Brendan were, you know, opening this Brotherhood 2.0 and we had all this, 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 this huge elaborate plan for it. And then we executed upon it and then it fell flat on its face. And I think the reason why it fell flat on its face was, first of all, it wasn't God's will. And I personally, I can't speak for him, but I personally put way too much stock in it that it became like idolatrous for me. And yeah. I, you know, anything that, that captivates a heart that isn't God is idolatry. Right. So, right. And then I had to really take a step back and say, okay, God, I, I, I see you. I know this is part of entrepreneurship, but there's a greater spiritual lesson to be had here as well, is that I was trying to force your, your force, your will, and there's no force in God's will. That's right. With new strength comes new challenges, right? It's like you start, you start getting in shape, you start getting your fitness right, finances right, et cetera. And then you start to like, oh, maybe I can do this. And you start to sit in the captain's chair of your own life and kind of put God to the side. And it's real easy, man. It's real easy to do. So I don't, I've, I've done it too. I don't blame you at all. Thank you for listening. If this episode was valuable to you, I will probably never know that. Unless you do me the favor of leaving a five-star review and hitting the follow button for this podcast. Doing that is going to let me know to keep producing this kind of content, and it's going to help other people just like you discover it as well. I appreciate your support and look forward to seeing you next time on The Path.